This is Ron Thurston, and today I'm live from the Airstream in Malibu, California, with my friend Ted Harrington, the best-selling author of Hackable and a recent TED Talk speaker. Welcome to Retail in America. This podcast is part of the Retail in America tour, my year-long journey to discover incredible retail heroes all across the country, celebrating our retail culture, community, and careers. Go to RetailPride.com or on Instagram at RetailPride to see it all, including past podcast episodes, playlists, and future cities on this tour. And while this may not be a traditional retail conversation, Ted's wealth of knowledge about human behavior and thinking like a hacker is one you don't want to miss. But before we get started, I want to thank the three important title sponsors for the Retail in America tour and this podcast. Spotify Advertising. Spotify has grown to over 420 million monthly unique registered users around the globe, over half of which are supported on the ad platform. Spotify Advertising will help you reach and target your audience across devices, locations, and formats. Ubic. Over 300 companies in 80 countries trust Ubic to drive their retail performance at scale and get real-time visibility into multi-location business execution, digitized task management, and consistent digital mobile learning for their teams. And KWI. KWI is the industry's only true turnkey omni-channel platform for specialty retailers. With over 35 years of experience, let KWI help you execute flawlessly with the features that matter most, including endless aisle, clienteling, mobile checkout, inventory management, e-commerce, and more. The links to learn about all three of these great brands will be in the show notes and at retailpride.com. And with that, let's get started with the show. So Ted, welcome to Retail in America. I'm psyched to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we are in Malibu and sitting on a beautiful cliff overlooking the water. And you're a local. You I live am. here in Santa Monica. I took a short Uber ride to come see you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I want to share the story as we start about how we met, because mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting you know, conversation around the power of human connection. Yeah. Because the conversation we're going to have is not about traditional retail because you're not a retailer. Mm -hmm. You didn't work in retail, right. but our relationship and the power of kind of storytelling and communication for me is a really important part of retail yeah. and, and our friendship. And so in August of 2019, I came home from a workshop and said to my husband, I'm going to write a book. Like, that's it. I'm going <laughs> to write a book. And I'm like, so how do I do that? Like, how do I write a book? Yeah. Did a lot of homework, kind of made this decision to choose Scribe Media to help me. Mm -hmm. Signed up for a workshop in Austin of October 2019, so just over three years ago. And around this table, as we began, was the most interesting group of people, yep. one of whom was you. But if I think about the kind of different journey that everyone around this table had taken in their life with a similar goal of wanting to share that mm -hmm. on a public stage. Yeah. And I think that that's a very interesting way to think about how we come together as humans. But I wanted to share you know, some of the people 
in that room today, all of these books have become number one bestsellers. It's for, nuts, yeah. For the following people. So Dr. Glenn Robinson wrote a book called Healthy Dad, Sick Dad. What Good Is Your Wealth If You Don't Have Your Health, which mm -hmm. is a great title. Hussein Albiati, who speaks all over the world, mm -hmm. now works for Scribe, wrote a book called The Art of Resilience, The Refugee State of Mind, which is a very powerful book. Sabrit Rajiv wrote Generation Zero, Reclaiming My Parents' American Dream. Craig Perkins wrote Against the Grain, Ditch the American Dream and Create Your Own. And Lindsay Dare Shoop, she's a gold medal Olympic athlete. She brought her gold medals, you know, for us to just casually pulled <laughs> some gold medals out at the end. <laughs> she did. Uh, wrote a book called Better Than Never, Believing It's Possible is Where Champions Begin. And there are several more from that group that have yet to publish, but we'll do it soon. And you and me and the journey toward becoming a published author and having this group of people around is really powerful. So, like, it's unbelievable. Tell me your experience of that weekend. Well, it's kind of funny to think that we're sitting here in your amazing Airstream, mm -hmm. looking at the ocean in California, and that started for me as a Google search. <laughs> like our <laughs> friendship began with me Googling how to get a book deal. That was the search that I, I did. I didn't want the book deal, but I wanted to publish a book. I figured that's how you do it. And then one of the articles that came up was something that Scribe had written that was, do you want a book deal? And I'm like, talk to me. <laughs> and I read it and it made this whole analysis of like how you might approach writing a book. And I was convinced right after that about their method. And yeah, I had a similar experience when I got into that room that you were talking about. I was kind of, and still am, in awe of everyone in that room. And I'm looking around and I'm like, all these people have achieved success in companies or athletics or in social services or just as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I felt really honored that I got to get to know all you guys. And when I think about if later in my life and I look back on what are the things that I'll be proud of that I've achieved, being worthy of being friends with people like you is one of those things that I'm really proud of. Oh, thank you. That's nice. I feel the same way about you. I'm happy that we can do this together yeah. and share because Retail Pride came out October 2020, exactly a year later. And yeah. I, I think it's the retailer and me and people listening can appreciate this. When you are given a goal, it's like we do everything we can to hit that. Yeah. And I said, I want my book to come out in October. You move so fast. What does that mean? Like, okay, literally the next day we left that workshop. I'm like, I'm writing yeah. and, and this book will come out in October. Yeah. And you were right after me in November. Yeah. So you, yep. you were equally fast. Both books became Amazon number one bestsellers. Yeah. And um, you have continued to thrive and use your book to speak all over the world. I have. I mean, publishing book period and then seeing it achieve the kind of success that both of ours have, like, it's life-changing. Yeah. And I don't think I'm different, but people see me differently and they treat me differently in uh, in positive ways, certainly. I'm like the same guy. They're like, oh, you're this author. I'm like, I just wrote some words on a page. Like, I'm not really that different. So you just got back from Germany. I did. Delivering your first TED Talk. Yeah which is life goal, life goal. Yeah. certainly a, I'm now very inspired to have. I'll give you the play, playbook, how to do it. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. Tell us a little bit more about who you are. Tell us who you are. Yeah, who's this guy yeah. who doesn't know anything about retail? <laughs> well, the funny part too is, you know, I, I forgot to mention, you wrote a book about ethical hacking. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, he seems like a cool guy, but I know zero 
about ethical <laughs> hacking. I wonder if we have anything in common. And the power of human connection 100%. says we actually had a lot in common. Tremendous amount, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so as you mentioned, my field is ethical hacking. So what that means, for people who don't, aren't familiar with that term, people are probably familiar with the bad kinds of hackers, right? Who attack companies, governments, schools, hospitals, stuff like that. But they might not realize that there's this opposing force which uses all the same tools and techniques and methods as the bad types of hackers do, but they do so in order to improve the security of systems rather than to exploit them. And that's called ethical hacking. And that's the world that I come from. So I lead a group of ethical hackers where companies hire us to hack them and then help them improve their systems. We've hacked everything from cars, phones, medical devices, password managers. Uh, we did some cool stuff on our own dating apps. We could like change your vote data. Like if you swiped left, we could be like, ah, you swiped right <laughs> um, or the reverse. Which is funny, but it also has to do with the like sovereignty of your vote. So it's actually a kind of a significant issue. Interesting. So that's what we do. So we basically apply bad guy thinking in order to help. And so my book, I wrote it to help people who are building these types of software systems figure out how to do it better. Because I saw so much misinformation out there about how to how people were doing it. And so then that book, you know, has done pretty well. It's sort of like become the manifesto of, it already was the manifesto of what we believe at this company that I run with my business partner. But then it became the basis of this TED Talk. The TED Talk was a little bit different. I, we'll talk about it, I'm mm -hmm. sure. But uh, that's, that's sort of who I am. I look at things and wonder how they can get hacked. <laughs> <laughs> how your brain works. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. How did you end up in this business? Very atypically. In effect, hackers always think differently about like, you know, most people follow whatever the norms are, right? They're like, what are the rules that I should follow and how do I play within those rules? And hackers do the opposite. They're like, okay, what are the rules and how can I maybe circumvent the rules or how do I play within the game in a different way or how do I do this in ways that are unexpected? And so even the way that I got into hacking is a, like kind of a form of hacking in a sense in that most people enter this field from computer science or they've been hacking systems themselves even if they're not formally educated as a computer scientist. That's not me. I have a degree in psychology, and my path on life has always been and will continue to be entrepreneurship. And so I got into this because I had been in a different field. I was running a company that had some tech that saved water in like residential irrigation lines or whatever. And I wasn't really feeling it, just didn't really enjoy what we were doing. I don't think the market was ready for that type of solution. And so I'd been talking to friends of mine about just exploring like what might be next. And at the same time, the guy who became my now business partner was in the PhD program at Johns Hopkins at the time. Mm. And uh, he was looking for someone to help him sort of grow this company differently. And we have this friend in common who worked for the NSA, like this total, like, like what the Hollywood would describe as a hacker type, who we both knew and was like, you guys should meet. And so I flew out from San Diego, where I was living at the time, to Baltimore. I met Steve. Like 15 hours later, we're standing on the street corner. It's like three in the morning. We're drunk. We got beers in our hand. We're like, let's do this. <laughs> and so we decided to go do this company together. And that was about 11 years ago. And um, I learned it along the way. Like I really didn't know anything about security when I started. And that's one of the things I'm always telling when I talk to say students, for example, they'll be like, Oh, I'm in my 
junior year, so it's probably too late for me to get into security. I'm like, what? Right. Like I was in my mid twenties before, late twenties before I even looked at security. Now I'm a best selling author on the topic. So like, yeah. you're fine. Go take a semester of you know a security class. You're fine. Yep. Yeah. Let's jump into the to the TED talk. Yeah. I purposefully have not asked you a lot of questions about this prior yep. because this was a lot of effort. This was a lot mm -hmm. of, you had to apply. You went there in advance as rehearsals. So give us the big idea. Yeah, so the idea in brief is, the title of the talk is why you need to think like a hacker. And essentially what I talk about is what are the mindset traits that most hackers have, both the good kind of hackers and the bad kind of hackers? And what happens to your own life if you can think that way too? Okay. So I basically extract these like mindset traits and say, hey, if you're trying to, whatever you're trying to do, you're trying to get a promotion, trying to get a raise, trying to get a new job, trying to raise money for a cause you care about, trying to launch an initiative, whatever you're trying to do, if you can think this way, what it does is it helps you think differently about what you're trying to achieve. And when you think differently, that reveals new pathways to achieve your goals. Hmm. So you're a hacker, by the way, which I will, I will explain once, oh. once we get into the meat of it. You, Ron Thurston, are a hacker. But when hackers think differently, they find new ways to do what they want to do. So it's for everybody. It's not for security people. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So how would you apply that in the world of what you know about this business around retail? When you yeah. think about retail leader... I'm a store manager, I'm running a multi-million dollar business, I have a 10, 12 person team, which yeah. is pretty common. Yeah. How do I think like a hacker? Okay, so the three mindset traits are that hackers are contrarian, hackers are committed, and hackers are creative. So essentially what those mean is that when I say that hackers are contrarian, it means that they reject norms. Right? They reject conventional thinking. They try to look at things maybe the opposite way. They'll identify the assumptions and correct them. Okay. Or not necessarily correct them, but they'll say, like, are those assumptions wrong? When I say that hackers are committed, I mean that they are on a mission and they're willing to invest the time, effort, money, resources. And when I say that hackers are creative, I mean to say that they're constantly inventing new ways or innovating new ways to approach whatever the problem is that they're looking at. Okay. The combination of those three things is what makes hackers successful. Mm. So let me answer your question first by describing the hacker that I'm looking at okay. across the Airstream, which is my dear friend, Ron. Okay, so Ron, you are contrarian because you said, is there a way... I'm putting mm -hmm. words in your mouth right now, but you rejected the, the norms of an executive, right? Like you were in the type of job that I think a lot of people listening to this want. I and was. you said, there's another way. And so you rejected that. So you no longer worked in an office. You no longer lived in an apartment. You said, is there another way? Can I do this differently? And so you bought an Airstream and you travel the country interviewing people and you're telling those stories. So that's contrarian thinking, right? That's completely looking okay. at it opposite. Yep. You're committed because you have been on this mission for all the years that I've known you, for mm -hmm. several years now. That is dedication, right? You've persevered. You've gone through tremendous life changes. You've, your husband changed his life as well for you. Like This is not trivial what it took for you to be sitting in this Airstream right now. And then you're creative because you found new ways to do it. So... Well, you probably don't get this question anymore now, but at first when you were talking about the idea, you probably got the question like, how are you going to afford to do this? And so what did you do? You went and you got these wonderful sponsors who enable you to be able to do it. So 
you've embodied the ideal persona of a hacker by saying, how can I still accomplish my mission, which is, you know, to evangelize for the retail worker and advocate for how we can dress our retail challenges better, but you've done it in a completely opposite way than almost everybody in the retail field has ever done. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I've never, I, I didn't have the words to use to describe that. I love calling myself a hacker. Yes, so when you get on stage hacker. next, you better say, I, Ron Thurston, comma, hacker, I'm here to say. <laughs> I love breaking down this kind of stereotype of new ways to think about leadership and yeah. people. And I think kind of where I started this is I sat across from you as a stranger. Here's a guy about ethical hacking. I'm a guy from retail. What do we actually yeah. have in common? And what you just described is... This idea of hacking is about thinking differently. It's about being contrarian. It's about mm -hmm. being committed and curious. And those are all things that all of us can and could do. Yeah. Yeah. But when I think, I mean, I can answer my own question listening then to you around people who work in stores. You can be quite contrarian if you choose to do that. Mm -hmm. And part of what I encourage people in retail to do, and, and pride is such a powerful word attached to retail is because we're often so self-taught, we aren't contrarian. Mm -hmm. We have right. a tendency to kind of sit back and say, well, I'm self-taught. I may not have all the skills or the confidence to be contrarian, but mm -hmm. great leaders are always those that ask questions and are curious, yeah. you know, and are committed to make that happen. I would imagine, I mean, I didn't work in retail the way that you did, so I'm somewhat theorizing right now, but I would imagine that the majority of retail workers probably inherently by nature of the profession are contrarian. Mm. Because, so a way to think about it is, think about like waiting in line, right? Most people see a line, they try to find the back of it, and they get in it. A contrarian says, is there another way to get in? And that's the really powerful question, is there another way? And from my observation, I mean, my experience with retail has been as a shopper, right. <laughs> but I've been in stores and I certainly look at stores differently now since you've become my friend, but I'll look around and I see the way that staff is like solving problems in the store. It's not just about, you know, folding clothes, right? It's about how the customer is going to have a wonderful in-store experience and how are they interacting with the brand and where are people spending their time and the way that retail workers are thinking about like can we do this differently? Can I approach the customer differently? Can I, maybe should I talk to the manager about, let's put this pile of items in a different place because for whatever reason, it's good or it's bad. Every day. Yeah, so that's contrarian thinking right okay. there. Okay. Whereas like a rule follower might say, oh, the corporate, you know, whatever, head honcho has come in and said it must be this way. The contrarian says, maybe it doesn't. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a better way. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And commitment is a no-brainer in retail, highly committed, yeah. because you are there seven days a week. You are, the hours can be insane. The commitment to the customer is so high and the commitment to your team that that is, I think, a, a quality that anyone in retail would say that they have, is that they're yeah. highly committed. Honestly, I think part of the reason I never really worked retail, I have worked retail, but not like in a significant way. But the reason I never really wanted to, I just didn't want to work like Christmas Eve. You guys, it's so impressive to me when you go into a store on times when it's like, look, it's Saturday night. I know that this college student does not want to give their Saturday night to this. They would rather, but they're, they're committing to it because 
this matters to them. This is yeah. their profession and, and they're here. Yeah. You know why I love working Christmas Eve? Yeah. Because it's everyone who waited until the very last minute and they're, <laughs> and they're in, panicking. They're panicking. <laughs> and if you can calm them down and find the perfect gift on the last day, you know, hours before the yeah. presents are going to be unwrapped, you're a hero. Yeah. Wow. And, That's cool. you know, particularly having spent most of my career on the women's side, the, the men that come in on Christmas Eve, if I could make him look good to his wife, you are forever memorable. And that's a gift right there that you're and able so to like, give someone. You know, it's just funny when you say Christmas Eve because it was actually one of my favorites. Yeah. I never missed it huh. because it's a really powerful day oh, in retail. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's my maybe my hacker mind yeah. thinking differently. Yes. I'll give you an audience a really powerful tool to use at all times. Great. It's the question... What if? Super straightforward, simple to remember, but whatever your situation is, so you were asking me like, okay, leader of team of 10 to 12 people, whatever. I, mm -hmm. And then you have a scenario that is some sort of difficulty. Just start asking the question, what if? You're, you're, like, you're running into the resistance, whatever that is, objections, setbacks, whatever the problems are. Just start asking, what if? What if we did it this way? What if we did it that way? What if we didn't do the thing we're supposed to do? What if we just didn't do it at all? What if nothing happened? What if the store was closed tomorrow? And when you start asking those what if questions, what it really does is it, it removes us from the shackles of expectations, right? That's sort of stupid, trite, like think outside the box, which is a completely useless thing to say because people are like, I don't know, what is the box even? <laughs> we need to stop using we that need to stop, We need to stop we using do. that. But it's getting at this idea that like there's an expected way we're supposed to do something. And the question what if allows us the freedom to think about it in a new way. And we, it doesn't mean we're committing to it, but it allows us to think about it. And so like some of the favorite conversations that I have with my business partner, they all start like this. So here's a terrible idea. <laughs> and whenever he says that, or I say that, the other one is like, our ears perk up. And we're like, mm. I wanna hear everything about this bad idea. Cause then you throw out the bad idea and then the parts about it that are bad, you're like, well, what if we just change that piece with this other thing. And it's like, oh, that removes the whole bad part. And now it's actually an mm. unbelievably good idea because we allowed ourselves to think about it differently. And so the question, what if everyone who's listening, use that in every situation as you're trying to decide what to do. Mm -hmm. But in that conversation with Steve, you're willing to listen and, and have that banter yeah. to solve, like maybe it was a bad idea and turn it into a great one because yeah. you're also open and willing to have your idea poked at a little bit. Yeah, and we'll even remove what might be typical norms or barriers. So for example, anytime anyone's deciding to do anything, one of the obvious criteria that goes into that is like, okay, this should be legal, this should be ethical, this should be moral, those kinds of things. So obviously that goes without saying, sure. your decision needs to account for those. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that there's a really wide audience in in the retail space who are looking for those kind of ideas yeah. of like how can i do something differently how can i stand out in the crowd in a really large in a really large company with with big employee bases you know that yeah. kind of jump from maybe single store to multi-store i've had people on this the show over the course of this year who um, are early in their multi-store career mm -hmm. and that's a really big jump and some of that was maybe thinking like a hacker. Now mm -hmm. that you're describing this, I'm, I'm picturing them and I'm, I'm listening to their story 
and they did have to do something differently. Yeah. They did have, to, you can't just sit and wait. Right. You, you have to make the name for yourself. Yeah. You have to do something. So for my edification, and then I'll maybe apply this, how do we think like a hacker scenario to this? So what is the jump from single store to multi-store that mm -hmm. you've identified? So in, in traditional retail would be kind of store manager slash general manager to district manager. So you go from running one to maybe 10, 12 locations. Okay, so the problem is you have disparate geographic locations, you have more people you're reporting to, you have more problems. Correct, all of it is just multiplied. So a way that someone might think about that would be, all right, I'm a single store manager, I wanna be a multi-store manager, mm -hmm. And that's a big jump. And they probably don't want to give me that job until I can prove that I've done it. But how do I prove I've done it if I don't get the job? It's the circle of life. It's a circle of life. So what do you do? So what most people would do is they'd say, well, I'm just going to put in my time. I'm going to make people trust me enough until I like get the chance. The what if question would be like, what if, what if I didn't do that? What if I created my own multi complex scenario now it doesn't mean to go start multiple stores necessarily mm -hmm. but like how do you create that opportunity to manage multiple problems at the same time so is there a nonprofit that you could join could you start a nonprofit could you start multiple nonprofits could you juggle multiple things in your personal life maybe it's like some sort of educational mm. like a degree or something you're pursuing and then within that you're there's some Thing that you have the opportunity to manage multiple people who have multiple problems all at the same time because then you can take that and now you go to the person who's in charge of hiring for the multi-store and say yeah. look i've been doing this this whole time right. and i'm also running a store right like, i right. can do this with five stores right and finding those other even kind of stretch assignments within organizations to help you 100%. insert yourself into situations or problems that the company has yeah. there's a lot of those opportunities ask for more do more without you know doing the role before you have the role i mean i hate to say it but you know this to be true i know this to be true people are not going to give us what we deserve we have to go get it we have to go create it and that's the heart of what thinking like a hacker is about is like okay the world works this way how do i make it work differently hmm. and this is just one of those ways like just putting your head down and being a good employee, it's just, it's not enough. You right. got you to gotta do differently. You got to do more. I love it. I love this tie-in to, to our worlds yeah. together. It's great. Tell us about the experience of delivering this TED Talk. I still haven't figured out how to put it into words, what it felt like. Because it was good. just days ago. It was just, yeah, it was, yeah, I think like maybe last week. Yeah. So I guess maybe to put it into context, this was something that I've been wanting to do forever. I mean, basically once... Steve and I started doing our company, ISE, it was in the back of my mind that I'm like, I got to give a TED Talk. And so I've been thinking about it and pushing towards it for years. And this is why I you know, started speaking more and more because someday I wanted to do this. And then when I realized I wasn't getting selected for one, this definitely factored into writing a book because I knew that they like authors. And so the reason I mentioned all that is just that this really mattered to me. And it took a long time to get to that stage. And so being on that stage, I guess maybe to relate it to you or to anyone listening, like if you think about something that really mattered to you that you worked for over a long period of time, and you can kind of think of what those emotions felt like, now add to it people literally applauding right. <laughs> as you do it. And it was so amazing. And one of the things that I, I really wanted to do, which this is just me being like, 
competitive, goal-oriented person. Not This is not necessary, but I wanted to deliver it without an error. I wanted to have a flawless performance, which is difficult because you have to memorize it. I didn't have slides. It was about 15 minutes long. That's like thousands of words. I mean, I give a lot of talks, but they're never memorized. And I successfully delivered every word without flaw. And it's like such an, like, who cares? But I do. And so to be able to do that, it was amazing. And I had these endorphins for I mean, literally, probably like a week. I bet. I bet. Wow. <laughs> it, was just, it was an incredible feeling. Almost 400 people in the audience, and uh, hopefully like thousands or hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people, hopefully someday we'll see the video when it comes out. But it was just... It was Any incredible. sense of date on when that is? Yeah, it'll probably be around like b- a little before Christmas, like middle oh, of December. So hopefully. soon. 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 We'll, yeah. I'll make sure I share that yeah. with everyone too. When you're consulting with brands who you're doing you're having all these really bold conversations and thinking like a hacker where do you find the obstacles the further you go up how do we change this idea of being more more free and more bold and the what ifs how do you do that at the top yeah that's that's a real challenge in every field for sure mm-hmm. and i think that one of the biggest challenges is that those at the top and those at the level of execution have different priorities which is problematic because mm-hmm. they're in the same organization ostensibly pursuing the same thing. But the people at the top, they have whatever their vision priorities are or the business priorities. And the people at the execution level, their priorities are things like, how do I make this thing that I'm working on right now work better? How do I deliver it more efficiently, more effectively, whatever. Um, and sometimes those don't always align. And usually what happens if you think about the way that a leader thinks, the big, big leaders, like the ones all the way at the top, they generally, and I'm painting a broad brush here, but they generally don't care about the detail of how something is executed. Now, obviously, there's famous examples of like, you know, Steve Jobs cares about like the specific details of certain things. And like that becomes this really famous trope. But from my experience across different industries, mm. most top level executives, they care about the big picture and not the implementation details. And the people who are implementing care about the details and assume that it's going to fit into the big picture. So when you think about how do we, at the implementation level, talk to those leaders, it's we have to think the way they think. And so the advice, I think, to someone who's maybe like maybe a store manager and they're trying to convince whoever's the VP or whatever of something, it's recognized that the VP might not care about what you care about. So what does the VP care about? And talk about it in those terms. Wow. That is being contrarian. That is thinking like a hacker. Yeah. That's so interesting. Indeed. I want to ask just a little bit about you and kind of who inspires you. Who've been your mentors, you know, big, yeah. big inspiration? Well, I mean, definitely my parents, for sure. Uh, I dedicated my book to my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And because what they really taught me was about. I mean, they obviously taught me like literally everything, including how to walk. But uh, they, uh, everyone's like, wow, your parents taught you things? That's crazy. Um, but one of the things that I really gleaned from them was about the way that we should serve others and treat others. And that to me is just the sense of service has, like it's been just part of our family you know, forever. Like my mom has been hmm. in the nonprofit world for a long time. My dad's in the nonprofit world. They're both just about like, how do we help people? And um, the way that they are as humans. I mean, my dad is like the kindest person 
mm-hmm. you could imagine. And so those two really inspire me. And I find myself here. I'm like, I'm a grown man, right? Like I just turned 40. I still every day am trying to make my parents proud. Mm. And that really is a pretty powerful motivator for me. I don't exactly know why, like, Maybe I should ask my therapist about that, but um, they they definitely are, uh, they're at the top of that list. Wow. Wow. And how did that feel growing up in that environment that their mindset was always one of service? How did that feel as, as a child? I don't think I understood it as a child, to be honest. I don't think I really understood it until like recently, mm. you know what I mean? You're as a kid, you're just like running around and literally playing, and, <laughs> but these things around you are they're soaking their way into your brain. And uh, Hmm. I find myself like with my nephew wanting to play a similar role. I mean, it's obviously different, you know, I'm I'm his uncle, not his dad. And uh, we live 3000 miles apart from each other. So it's not like we see each other every day, but I find myself wanting to instill in him values that I've picked up over the years. And I would like to hopefully see him emulate. And it's just really fulfilling. And I don't know if he's 15. I don't know if he's, they're soaking in or not i mean i do see him they are soaking in I'm yeah not giving myself enough credit but. yeah sure they are i'm sure he'd love to come out here to santa monica spend he, more time he on was the beach. out here yeah. yeah we rented a uh <laughs> we rented this ridiculous like bmw i8 the one with the gull wing doors <laughs> and just like drove around we went into the like rich areas and uh he we had a pretty good time <laughs> uh, with life goals <laughs> yeah <laughs> ted i can't express enough how grateful I am to have you sitting here with me today in the Airstream to think about our lives and the evolution of things that we've both accomplished you know, since we met just over three years ago and books and TED Talks and the Retail in America yeah. tour and, you know, and the growth of your business and the list is long. I very much appreciate our friendship. Gratitude goes both ways. You've been not just a friend, but an advisor and a mentor to me. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. How can people find you? The easiest way is just tedharrington.com. Everything there, how to follow me on social, uh, information about my book, obviously info about our company too, but yeah, tedharrington.com. I love it. I think there are retail organizations that could come and have you speak to to stores. I would love to do that. Yeah, it'd be great. Great. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. I want to thank Ted Harrington for being on the show today and to all of you for listening. It's very appreciated. Thank you to my producer, Roy Pettitz. And to the audio engineer for the Retail in America show, Dean Albeck. Subscribe at RetailPride.com and follow me on Instagram at RetailPride to see all the details about the Retail in America tour. And with that, keep your Retail Pride strong, and I will see you on the road. <laughs>